Hello and welcome to this week's podcast about abortion. I'm joined once again by my dear friend and colleague Christian Hacking. Welcome Christian. Pleasure to be here Dave. Thanks for coming all the way up. And I'm all the way up from London. Uh, But pleasure to see my title has escalated from friend this morning to good friend and now to dear friend. Well when we've been through what we've been through today it is only appropriate. It's only appropriate to become a dear friend. That's right. Well, thanks for, for joining us once again. We are um, speaking today about the landscape, the UK landscape surrounding abortion. And really, we're going to ask the question how did we get here, particularly in terms of legislation? But before that, before we jump in there, we need to touch base on our sponsorship status, don't yes, we? Yes, we do. We do. This came up in our first two podcasts where we floated the idea of being sponsored with links, seeing as all of the information we share on this podcast is evidenced by links. By links, yeah. And so not, not only because we use links, uh, I don't mean personally, I don't use links personally, uh, haven't since I was a teenager, uh, links Africa Dry. Well I, I, well, I actually saw links Africa Dry have released a um, air freshener and I thought about getting it for you. Thank you. Seeing as I spent quite a lot of my teenage years in your armpit in one wrestling position or another, <laughs> and therefore became quite acquainted with your Lynx Africa. You experienced phase. the need. <laughs> I experienced the need. Experienced the jungle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Welcome to the jungle. Right. Well, it, I say it's not. It's not that we. Um, it's not because we use links in that sense that we uh, felt that it was appropriate. But more, we do want to link everything we're saying with appropriate evidence. But more to the point, talking about a hot topic, we are making society sweat. We are. And we thought in that vein, Lynx might be interested. And so I wrote to them, uh, I wrote to Lynx uh, saying, uh, we felt it might be appropriate that as a hot topic or a controversial issue, um, we are making society sweat by tackling it head on. And I asked them if they'd be interested in sponsoring us. Now they wrote back to me, Karen from the Unilever community, that's the group of which Lynx is a part, and they, they explained how they're supporting various good causes and charities. They didn't feel able to support us, but they did say, please accept our best wishes for the podcast. We hope it is a great success. Very good. Could have been a lot worse. Yes, it could have been worse. It was a warm response, but not a response that has led to sweat for deodorant or sponsorship. No, so they, they've missed a trick there because they, they could have increased their market by helping to make society sweat more. Yes. Uh, but they didn't, but... This raises the question, who's next? Who's next? Shaw or Dove? Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that Shaw is the sort of, the accountant's sort of go-to deodorant. It's sort of steady, dependable, not so flashy, but... Well, you say this, right? But I was reminded of a 1990s or early 2000s ad campaign with Bear Grylls advertising Shaw Wow. as part of his kind of Everest climb. Well, I never thought Shaw was quite so adventurous. Well, exactly, and I figured we could actually go for a double endorsement here, which is we could have Bear Grylls endorsing Shaw and the About Abortion podcast. Mm. And as a brother in Christ, mm-hmm. and as head of the Scouts movement, uh, founded by Baden Powell, mm-hmm. an old Carthusian, I might add, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we've got a number of avenues okay. that we can exploit All for right. the justice of society well watch this space we're gonna watch watch this armpit yes we're gonna we're gonna try and get some sponsorship and uh you know 
God willing, one day they're going to be flocking, aren't they? One yeah. one day we are going to be turning down sponsorship deals. <laughs> That's right. You know, but it's uh, one of those things we do believe and we do pray, and, we, and, and we're we're hoping for this that when the tide turns, we'll look back on this issue as we look back now on the slave yeah. trade and and we'll be writing us. we'll be writing back to Unilever saying we wish you well yeah with your global yeah. pharmaceutical right. endeavors <laughs> right. uh, but we are unwilling to partner that's with you right. at this time because we've just got too many sponsors that's right but we do believe that that change can happen it's going to happen amen well we're talking today about how we got to where we are today and uh, next week as in just before just now <laughs> when we recorded next week yeah these podcasts are becoming fast like interstellar yeah yeah it's it's really hard to keep on top of now. Yeah. So what we're going to speak about next week is um, more how culture has affected the law. So we're looking at the sexual revolution and how that sort of um, demanded, as it were, provision of abortion. But today we're looking at really the, the sort of the flip side of that, how law affects culture. Because mm. law does affect culture, doesn't it? Absolutely. Talk us through that, because some people well, say, well, it's, it's you know... Yeah, so, yeah, that, I mean, the common argument is, you know, if you legalise it, it's just going to continue anyway mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a less safe way. Yeah. What's so silly, fun, interesting about that argument is we have just lived through the COVID era. Mm-hmm. And the COVID era proved, like no era that I've ever lived through, just the potency of law. Mm. Because, I mean, I was just thinking about this in the break just now. My, uh, this amazing guy who comes to do our gas meter once a year, you know, he came in and did our gas meter. He said, oh, it's been a hard year, mate. I said, why has it been a hard year? He goes, oh, I've wanted to hug my grandchildren all year. But because the law says I can't, I haven't. And I was like, my gosh, you know, working, hardworking, southeast London guy in his 50s, uh, you know, runs various kind of gas firm. But he he didn't hug his own grandchildren for a whole year Mm. because he was convinced that that was the the legal and the right thing to do. Mm, mm. And I mean, the, some of the stuff we're doing during COVID, I mean, it, it just shows our willingness to comply to the law. And if I'd been Prime Minister, Dave, I would have tested this by basically saying that, seeing as some of the science that came out was dubious at best, I would have said that uh, by hopping on one leg, it reduces your con- chance of getting COVID by 74%. Mm-hmm. And I would like to have seen how many people would have said, you know what, Dave, the whole thing's bunch of baloney. But if the law says so, then they hop on down well, the road. It, w- it wouldn't be um, that big a step from where we got to. You know, people wearing a mask in a queue, taking the mask off to order their food, yeah. putting the mask on to walk to their table, taking the mask off and sitting there for two hours yeah. with a whole bunch of people. Um, even doing that sort of, you know, within church services, clearly laws affect behaviour. Absolutely. I mean, we've just seen that um, so clearly the last few years. It stands to reason, you know, and I, I think... Um, the law is the closest thing a lot of people have to a moral code, mm. especially in a sort of post-Christian or secular society. Um, you know, we were t- was it was it G.K. Chesterton or his lesser known C.K. Chesterton? C- <laughs> yeah, we, confusion about who yeah. was the maybe maybe I think I think G.K. was really the shadow author of C.K. Right, the real who, genius. Who was the real genius? Behind every G.K. There's a C.K. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. And this is a thesis that I've been pushing for yeah. a number of years that I haven't quite been able to it's evidence niche. yet. It's you know, <laughs> definitely a gap in the uh, it's niche, but academic the, market. Though. Yeah, I've been quoting C.K. I think C.K. is basically C.K. Chesterton is is 
should be accredited with all GK quotes that come out badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. So he's just like, um, his poorly remembered <laughs> yeah. background relative. Yeah, yeah, like zeitgeist. Yeah, it's a sort of yeah. proxy. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, okay, I like yeah. it, all right. So um, whichever Cheston it was, <laughs> said something along the lines of, you know, if people um, don't believe in God, they'll believe anything. Mm. And by extension, if people don't worship God, they'll worship anything. And it's been said that if we don't worship God, we'll end up worshiping the government. And I think yeah. that is so clear, really, to see in our culture, the government has become God to so many. Mm. Of course, they don't speak of it like that. But where do they look for mm. everything to be sorted out? Yeah. When they say they should do something about this, who are they talking about? Yeah. The government, the state. Yeah. Someone should be taking care of everything from healthcare to education to, you know, um, to, to give me whatever money I might need to, to, to whatever. So perhaps especially in our culture where we've left behind the word of God, mm. that's left a sort of, as it were, an ideological, a sort of a worshipped vacuum. Mm. And where are we turning? The government and, and the government's kind of equivalent of, mm. you know, of, of, the, of the, the Ten Commandments is, is the laws that we write. And we often hear it on the street, don't we? When we talk to people about abortion, we say, you know, what do you think? And they say, well, it's okay. And we say, what to what point? And they say, well, what does the law say? That's right. You know, they, That's constantly, right. they constantly refer to the law yeah. as being the absolute moral authority that you can yeah. kind of hide behind. That's right. To which we often say, well, what about slavery? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, that was yeah. approved under law. Does that make slavery okay? And they say, no, no, that's not, that's different. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And so yeah. there's this kind of utter short-sightedness. Yeah, yeah. And we've, uh, yeah. we've shown ourselves willing, haven't we, to subcontract our common sense and our moral sense to the government. I've even had conversations with people in the streets in our public education work. And genuinely, they have seemed incapable of distinguishing between what is legal, the legal mm. status quo, and what's morally right. Mm. They just say, what well, is legal. So mm. that's my answer. Yeah. So it's really significant. Um, it stands to reason. We've seen it played out sort of in our own lifetime. Uh, but also we can see statistically when it comes to abortion just how true it is that law affects culture. It changes behaviours. And uh, and the point we're really focusing on today is make abortion legal and the numbers rocket. Mm. Now this is pertinent right now today, isn't it? Because uh, what we've seen in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned in the States is a lot of people, including Christians, mm. have come out with this thing that you, you touched upon uh, earlier just there, that if we make abortion illegal, it's not going to reduce the numbers. It's mm. just going to drive them back to the back streets. Mm. So it's really important that we as Christians, pro-lifers, understand the truth yeah. behind these claims. Yeah. Well, should we look at the kind of yep. large legal um, landscape and then we can maybe touch on some yep. figures? Yep. Although- yeah. Talk us, yeah, talk us through, give us a potted history, okay, um, abortion law in the UK in 60 seconds. In 60 seconds, starting when? Now. Golly gosh. Okay, so abortion is illegal in the United Kingdom under the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, which is a brilliant piece of Victorian legislation that makes not only abortion illegal, but anyone who aids and abets in an abortion illegal. Okay, this was the case. Uh, so this law is still standing and it puts abortion in a, on a, in a criminal framework okay mm-hmm. so commit an abortion um, and you can go to jail for it mm-hmm. along came David Steele the 96-7 abortion act which basically said that abortion is still illegal but it can be permitted under certain criteria if two doctors in good faith sign it off okay and those criteria summarized in no particular order are um, abortion can be permitted to save the life of a mother 
uh, to prevent permanent injury to the mother, to prevent emotional and physical harm to the mother or any existing children within of that family, and finally, um, to prevent severe the child having severe abnormalities, disabilities, etc. Mm -hmm. But we can go into that because obviously, mm -hmm. very non-severe abnormalities like Down syndrome or cleft lip and palate abortion have now been wrapped up in that definition. Okay, so this was a private members' bill from David Steele, who was in his thirties at the time. Um, and he managed to, most private members bills for anyone who knows a bit about politics, you know, they don't go anywhere. You know, they're like me on a kind of family holiday. <laughs> you know, we launch, but we never really end up getting anywhere other than just to our drive, right? Um, but, but this actually launched. It launched and it went fast and it, and it, got, it got, um, went through the Commons and the Lords and got approval. And, and the vehicle that it rode in was not our Vauxhall Sephira, uh, but actually this vehicle of pseudo-compassion, mm. uh, guilt, uh, extreme cases. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was very much laid up, uh, not, not in the framing that we see it now, sexual reproductive rights, my body, my choice rhetoric, but very much, you know, what about rape? What about incest? What about um, fatal, you know, not, they wouldn't have called it fatal fetal abnormality, but when a baby has got no chance of survival, what about people in economically dire situations. Why don't we commit a compassionate grounds for abortion in these extreme cases where, where really the mental strain is so great that mm. to not do so would be inflicting harm upon women in those circumstances, or so the argument goes. Um, and and it, it won the day. And, yeah. and gullible, emotionally manipulated uh, Christians uh, gave their approval to it. And really, um, you know, it was a foot in the door, and but that ogre that the that this bill ended up being um, expanded hugely, mm -hmm. and what started with a foot in the door became a shoulder, then the full body, and then and then abortion was very much in the building. Mm -hmm. And what you see from the abortion figures, very uh, very broad brushstrokes, is it just grew exponentially mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. as soon as the the it was given approval uh you know royal assent uh the figures just started to kind of snowball mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. uh you know quadrupling uh octopling mm -hmm. um, until we've got to our current state of 214,000 abortions mm -hmm, per mm -hmm. year in the united kingdom 98 percent of them underground seas which which isn't just to prevent it's basically all under preventing emotional harm to the mother, yeah, um, and this is our current status. There's a few other bits in that journey, but 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 that's the board. Brilliant, um, thank you. Our length it wasn't 60 seconds. That was probably so. the longest 60 seconds of my life, but it was still a very quick potted history. Okay, thank yeah, you. Thank no, you for that. no worries. Um, now we'll, we'll we'll revisit the the whole numbers issue because I really want to drill that point today, um, or drive that point. is probably the you could yeah. I could drill down and then drive. You can drill down to deal with the pot potted potholes yeah okay uh, all right drive over although i would be in terms of the numbers some people listening may struggle with some of the minutiae of the numbers yeah, yeah. okay we'll know. try we'll try and keep it comprehensible but we'll, we'll come back to that because the point i really do want to drive here is laws matter yes. laws really uh change behaviors and, and when we talk about behaviors here we're talking about the killing of babies mm. so it's really important that christians pro-lifers understand just how significant laws are not to be mm. dismissive we're, we're being trained by the other side mm. and it's a very clever ploy because they know we're pro-life they know we don't want abortions mm. 
So how do you convince people who don't want abortions to back a law that allows abortions? Mm. Well, you convince them the law makes no difference. Mm. It's all the same. In fact, it just makes abortions safer. Mm. Pulls on the emotional heartstrings, as you say. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we wake up to this great lie and, and looking at the numbers in detail will help us to do that. But just before we do that, I want to just pick up on one word you used there. You talked about pseudo-compassion. Now, it's it's seems to me fairly standard amongst particularly conservative evangelicals in the UK, more or less anything I've read or, or listened to about the 1967 Act has, has mm -hmm. written by Christians. Generally, it's, it's sort of taken a, a very understanding view of mm. the 67 Act. Say, so, look, they were just trying to help, mm. you know, just trying to get abortions off the back streets. Mm. And you know, it really was sincerely intended. So talk, let's, let's just think about this idea of pseudo-compassion. So in what sense was it false compassion or, or, or mistaken compassion? Well, in order to understand this, you've kind of got to go back, right? Because, because the legal change is often, uh, it's kind of, it's the door on, on the, it, it's the opening up of a movement that often dates far further mm. back. So, so the Abortion Law Reform Association was founded in 1935, okay? So we're talking 30 years before they got this change of law. So, so there were these driving forces, pushing, lobbying, uh, cajoling, um, parliament for, for, for kind of three decades in the lead up to this act and they were getting a bit like a kind of army preparing itself on the border but they were waiting for that moment when it would change yep. and then they just drove uh, straight on in and, and really they focused on all the extreme cases the one-off stories they don't focus on the boring uh, reality of the larger numbers the normalized normal experience they focus on just the extreme cases of you know um, you know, rape, incest, fatal abnormality, and our and of course our hearts go out to these mm -hmm. situations, and they they either endear us to change mm. the law um, in the extremes, or they neutralise us to not act if the law's uh, changing. And I think that's that's what they did yeah. highly effectively. Uh, the abortion industry was got highly integrated with Parliament and have remained yeah. so. Right. So you you know, the civil servants even now. People like Andrea Duncan, Imogen Stevens, uh, just to name two, and you know they've worked in the abortion industry. They've gone into the civil service, and, and they they're now a conduit yeah. by which uh, the abortion industry can uh, just manipulate, um, you know, the Department of Health according to their will and wishes. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's remained that way mm -hmm. since 1967. Yeah. And it's worth noting that in 2017, 50 years after uh, David Steele introduces a Abortion Act and got it passed. Uh, he was promoting uh, essentially the same thing in Northern Ireland, and he mentioned by name uh, Alistair Service, someone from the Abortion Law Reform Association. He said he depended on him mm. and on a few other unofficial whips to mm. get the votes he needed on these successive Fridays. Yes. So the the ALRA were absolutely in there, and whilst plenty of people were manipulated, unaware, naive, whatever, mm. the the lobby uh, were were persistent, strategic, and very far-sighted. Mm. And they knew exactly, and, and that same group exists today, they changed their name to abortion rights. Yeah. But they are the same group today, and they continue to be much more foresighted, far-sighted, and uh, strategic and committed, frankly, mm. than, than we are. Yeah. Uh, and, and they are incredibly united around their goal mm. of full decriminalization. And let's just quickly talk about that before we go back and talk a bit more about the 60s. 
where's it going now? So since 67, obviously in, in 1990, uh, there was a, a, a relatively minor change, 28 weeks brought down to 24 weeks as the general limit. Yes, yes, the Embryology Act of 1990, worth touching on, simply because that opened the door after the Walnut Commission, mm -hmm. opened the door for um, scientific experimentation mm -hmm. on, on embryo, yep on embryos of so human beings in their earlier stages. Yep. I think with the cutoff of something like 18 days, mm -hmm. we then, um, and it also made this bargain with regarding disability abortion. So the 1990 Act enabled babies to be killed up to birth for a disability, whereas before that there was a cutoff at around 28 weeks with the viability. So they, they tightened that. So that's a slight controversy yep. as to where people sit on that one. Moving forward to the present day, um, a MP from Hull, Dame, Dame Diana Johnson from Kingston-upon-Hull, is really the matriarch of the UK pro-life mm -hmm. movement and probably potentially a discipler of people like Stella Creasy and others below her. She has been pushing repeatedly for decriminalisation of abortion. And what does that mean? Well, that's basically going back to that Victorian Act I mentioned, the mm -hmm. 1861 Offences Against the Person Act. They're trying to repeal that. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is to remove abortion from the criminal framework. And again, the way that they frame it is, you know, should we put poor women who are going through abortion, should they really face criminal charges uh, for, for exercising their so-called bodily autonomy? The reality is only a handful of women have ever been prosecuted for abusing the abortion law. Um, really, if this law passed, it plays far more into the hands of the abortion industry mm -hmm. because it means that uh, their employees, um, instead of facing criminal sanctions for malpractice, of which we know malpractice is going on, um, they, they, they'll just face a monetary fine, which mm -hmm. can really be paid back you know, with a few procedures as paid for by the NHS. Mm -hmm. And, and it's what they've already achieved in Northern Ireland. So Northern mm -hmm. Ireland has not only had abortion forced upon it, but they've also had the Offences Against the Person Act removed. So, mm -hmm. so abortion in Northern Ireland is kind of, you know, parallel from a regulatory framework to kind of dental teeth yeah. removal. It's, it's, yeah. it's lost all of the, the gravitas of criminal proceedings for messing it up. And so, mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the, that's one of the reasons is, you know, the, the criminal proceedings kind of, infer that this is a human being yeah. you know they're yeah. kind of it's the last residual mm. it's one of the last residual bits of legislation that kind of uh give the distinct impression that this is serious very very serious and and of course that has issues with regard to employing abortionists it has issues with regarding stigmatization of the industry so, so the abortion industry want want that removed so that they can operate with more impunity mm -hmm. And, and they also want to get rid of the two doctors signing it off. Mm -hmm. they, want, they want to not only de-legislate uh, it, but they want to kind of de-medicalize it, yep. get it into homes, remove the doctors. And, they, and they've already started this process, right? Because yep. with these DIY home abortions, who are signing them off? Well, they're nurses and midwives. They're not, they're not trained doctors who've done seven years. Yep. And they're certainly not doing it in good faith. Because if you listen to the um, mystery client investigation and the phone calls and the transcripts that you can you can see readily available online, and we'll link them below. Um, you, you can basically see that, you know, that these um, call centre staff are working hard to slot women in these categories mm -hmm. to get, get them their abortion and under emotional grounds, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. are entirely subjective. And it, ca it can easily be argued that 98% of abortions, therefore, under these grounds are illegal because mm -hmm. they're not actually fulfilling the criteria of the 1967 Act. Well, that's right. There's absolutely no effort made, is there, to seriously diagnose a mental health condition. Uh, there's no assessment. There's no 
evidence that abortion helps your mental health, quite to the contrary, we mm. see evidence that it harms your mental health. Um, and yet the 98% of abortions are being signed off on this basis. So mm. it's, it's, it's flagrant disregard of the law, really. Um, so by the letter of the law, really, 98% of abortions are actually illegal, but no mm. one cares, no one mm. does anything. Um, and even our, our friend and colleague Ashling, who took two doctors to court because they've been caught red-handed offering sex-selective abortions, which is expressly illegal. Mm. Um, she got nowhere because the, the, C, the CPS weren't interested. They said it's not in the public interest to prosecute, even though it was clear as yeah, day they outrageous. were guilty. Yeah. So there, is, there, there isn't rule of law in this mm. country. Um, the law that we have is not being taken seriously. And what, we're, what we therefore effectively have is abortion on demand. But it's interesting and helpful, I think, to, to observe some things that have happened at a cultural level mm -hmm. uh, that have fed into this. And there are a couple of key moments or kind of um, processes uh, where we see this come out. So, so one I just want to highlight is really how um, social issues have been called medical. Mm. You know, so basically if, if there's a difficult situation or if, indeed if someone's unhappy about something, mm. that's being billed as a medical mm. thing, it's mental health. Now that actually began to happen quite early on, even before 1967, mm. in extreme social circumstances such as after rape, mm. it was claimed that that was effectively a medical issue. Mm. But what we've seen now today mm. is anything can be claimed as a medical issue because mm. anything can be claimed as mental health. Mm. I was speaking with someone on the streets the other day who wanted to argue simultaneously that sex selective abortion was wrong, yeah. but also if a woman was sad about having a girl instead of a boy, or vice versa, then she should be allowed to have an abortion. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's this, this topsy-turvy way of thinking when yes. we make the human will the, the ultimate authority. Yeah. We've got 56 million little gods, or however mm. many we've got in our country, mm. each with their own moral framework yeah um seeking to be sovereign so that's one trend we need to be aware of that, we, that, that i mean the someone's called it the, the rise and triumph of the modern self isn't it it's it's me at the center yeah i decide actually ultimately what's right and wrong mm. even to the point of the death of an innocent person but another thing we've seen uh wrapped around this is you mentioned the, the warnock report which took in a whole bunch of different views Mm. Uh, and was expressly pluralistic. It, it, it was it, it described itself as philosophically pluralist. So all these people came with different values. So they said, but we all agreed not to base our conclusions on sentiments, but on mm. arguments and yeah. on evidence. Yeah. And again, we Christians have been very naive, and we've been taken in by this worldview, yeah. which suggests, okay, there are lots of views out there, but let's make a decision that's based on the science, yeah. on the evidence. Yeah. But of course it's not. It's a moral decision, mm. but we've adopted this pluralist relativism where we say well you know um i've got my private beliefs i'll keep them in the corner and i'll let the medical profession decide because this is a medical issue mm. and still to this day we've got an issue i think in the church of people seeing this as a woman's issue or as a medical issue and not really a spiritual or moral issue yeah for us to be engaged with yeah well i mean case in point take for example the latest uh tranche of laws which is basically the buffer zone laws yeah. Right. And and the buffer zone laws are, are um, basically designed to place zones around abortion clinics about 150 meters wide, where where you're not allowed to engage in any act of approval or disapproval of uh, abortion. Mm. And 
the idea, the false allegation here is that uh, that women are undergoing some form of harassment, systematic harassment under the outside of these clinics by pro-life groups, and that this harassment is of a nature that can't actually be arrested because harassment and intimidation is already illegal. It's but it's so low level and subtle that it needs its additional sanctions put on it, right? And the and the and the argument put forward is this has got nothing to do with the right and wrongs of abortion. This is just about people yes. being able to access right. healthcare, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But but this is but this is it's incredibly, um, it's absolutely about abortion, yeah. Yeah. right? Because because when women encounter people outside of clinics, they become conflicted about whether the decision that they're making is right. Women who are not UK residents are hugely blessed by these organisations. The Good Counsel Network has saved over 611 babies between 2012 and 2018 doing this work. Mm. Again, that can all be evidenced. Um, and, and yet, the, and the act of prayer, right, mm. which is prohibited along with sketching, which is <laughs> sketching with intent, obviously a huge issue, um, the prayer is, is not allowed in these zones, mm. even silent prayer. And so, again, you've had this you know, naive argument, okay, this has got nothing to do with abortion, mm. this is just about people accessing healthcare. Mm. But it's absolutely mm. about abortion, mm. right? Because mm. you you don't you want you don't want the meat to be to use an abattoir analogy. You don't want the meat to be stressed before it goes through with the slaughter, mm. you know. And and you don't want people praying uh, close to the epicenter where the killings mm. happening because I think in the spiritual dimension that affects things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so so again, it's another example of this law coming in. The, the opponent sees in the day, you've got, what's her name in Scotland? Mm-hmm. Sturgeon, seriously considering bringing this mm. in nationally mm. in Scotland, um, with, with the Christians just kind of, kind of you know, 2019, you know, um, Archbishop Justin Welby on LBC being like, well, you know, you know mm. I'm, I'm all for buffer zones. Mm. <laughs> You're like, mm. sorry, the head of the Church of England mm. um, standing against um, public prayer, standing against helping women in a vulnerable situation, like sunning is gone yeah. awry here, and, and, and people just failing, people seeing things on surface value. Yeah. You know, you know, as <laughs> as we will find out next week. Yes. With my profound gift of prophecy. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, just just uh, you know, talking to John about yeah. his experience in the sixties, just yeah. this kind of tiptoeing of evil yeah. and the and the church just being in absolutely the wrong place yeah, yeah, you know yeah uh so so important for 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 christians to take seriously the legislative stuff so important for them to see uh where this all leads so for, important for them just to kind of you know just um you know just like rip off the packaging yeah you know yeah. see what's really going on here yeah, you yeah, know yeah, um yeah yeah because if these buffer zones if allowed reduce the geographical space for freedom of of religion and expression of opinions even facts you know yeah. and uh but most importantly they stop women receiving help right. when they need it most that's right and they and they reduce the opportunity for genuine choice this is right well exactly and which is like yeah. which is so insane yeah. you've, you've got sister supporter who yeah. who basically operate by going into these zones causing a fuss and then getting the council to ban everyone yeah but like, as far as a, what a deceptive title, mm. sister supporter. Mm. They're, they're not supporting women no. in their moment of crisis. They're, 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 they're greasing the way yeah. towards their child's killing yeah. inside, of the, yeah. inside of the center. And yeah, yeah so the, but yeah. again, like it, it all has to be, um, it all has to be untangled. We, ha- we, we yeah. can't be so naive as just yeah. to let this stuff roll yeah. in.
Yeah, yeah. And, and that's ever so important because we have been naive for, for decades. The pro-life movement, or those who should be pro-life, the, the Christian church, has been incredibly naive. Now, we're not going to go in, into that in a great deal today. We're going to look at the church's engagement, especially in the 60s and 70s, in another podcast. Um, but it's worth saying that all of us, you know, historically speaking, pretty much, all of us fell for this claim mm. that this isn't about making abortion on demand, which is, you know, David Steele is often quoted as saying that and, and often very sympathetically and people mm. believe him, you know, even though he saw what happened and went and tried to push it onto Northern Ireland as well, mm-hmm. succeeded. Um, but look, people believed it. But I mean, take for David Steele, man. We were talking about this over breakfast this morning. Morrison's breakfast. Very good breakfast. Fantastic breakfast. Uh, but basically, just Christian, the, our propensity to assume the best of people when all mm. the evidence is pointing mm. in the other direction. Mm. You know, David Steele being a perfect example, okay? 14 years ago, you know, he admitted that there were too many abortions. He said that he didn't envisage anything like mm-hmm. the number that mm-hmm. was happening. And then was like, oh, you know, even David Steele was going to... Mm. But he didn't lift a finger to do anything about mm. it. Unlike mm. Bernard Nathanson, the American abortionist mm-hmm. who, who spent the rest of his career working to expose the industry, working to put right, redeem uh, the mistakes he made and the damage he caused, mm-hmm. didn't do any of that, okay? Then in 2020, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse stated this, and I quote, it is clear that Lord Steele assumed from what Cecil Smith told him that he had committed the offences that he had committed the offences which Private Eye had reported, yet um, he did nothing about it. Okay, so Cecil Smith was a convicted paedophile, uh, now dead. Later on in the same report, it says he put his own reputation or political interest before child protection. Mm. Right? Mm. So this, this is the measure of the man who brought this in. Mm. Right? This is the measure of the man that we are um, allowing mm. um, to, to live out his days in, in moderate politeness, mm-hmm. you know, without somebody putting serious criminal convictions before mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. not only for the, the 10 million babies that have mm-hmm. been killed through this abortion act, all the illegal abortions that are happening with no regard to the law, mm-hmm. but also the fact that the same man who permitted this, and this really shouldn't be a surprise in some mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. did nothing to stop um, the yeah. child abuse of a paedophile that he knew was yeah. acting at the time. So again, it, you know, it's... I think we see in Christ, we see that wonderful, you know, grace and love and compassion given to those who are acknowledging their sin, mm-hmm. who are acknowledging that they are not worthy of him, that they are fallen uh, creatures in need of a saviour, right? But to those who are proud, you know, Jesus is hard as flint, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think we've got to, we should stop, you know, we, we need to be clear, we need to, we need to, the, we need to reestablish our boundaries in terms of the truth and we need to be hard upon those who are being deceptive yeah because it's costing lives yeah, yeah. Um, and we need to be we, we need to if people need to go behind bars we put them behind bars and then we minister to group truth truth and grace to them we continue visiting them but once they're once they're in a safe place um for the children you know and yeah. it's just we've just got it all yeah. all jumbled all mixed yeah. up with you know it's like it's like the dessert before the main you know mm-hmm. it's like you, the um, yeah, and and surfing on this lie that you know somehow law doesn't matter. You yeah. know, that's not where yeah. the fight's at. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, the victims have to come first, and, and we say that with other injustices without hesitation. And and even the church is saying that yeah. so much with regard to current child abuse. Yeah, and spiritual abuse. And spiritual abuse. Yeah. And yeah. yet, when the abortion issue was still like miles behind, that's right. Saying 
you know, basically without realizing it, supporting the industry yeah, yeah. or or making it out like the woman who is the worst second victim of abortion mm -hmm. is the primary victim, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or that she's only a victim if she's not allowed an abortion. Yes, because oh, she needs abortion because that's yeah. what the, the papers are telling us. And so even in the in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, we've had you know in so-called Christian publications, so-called Christians saying that this is going to be terrible for women. Mm. We've got to spare a thought for all the women who are going to be in a horrible situation now because they can't get an abortion. Mm. We've just been so, the wool's been pulled over our eyes. Mm. So much. And, you know, and the, we, it's a confusion of what it means to love. Mm. We think that being compassionate means agreeing with people and massaging their, mm. their ego, not confronting, not speaking truth. Um, and we've been far more interested in being fair, and I would say overly fair, if that makes sense, to the perpetrators of this injustice mm. than we are about being fair to the babies mm. who under God have a right to life. Mm. He has given them life, they're made in his image and no human being has the right to take that life from them. Mm. And yet we're more concerned about being fair and thinking the best and being generous mm. and broad-minded uh, towards those who are taking their lives or mm. creating laws to take their lives than we are to put those babies first. And uh, you know, the, the abortion industry is global, it's coordinated. We see exactly the same propaganda coming out in different countries. Mm. A friend of ours, we know Kevin Duffy, used to be a, a, an international director of Mary Stokes, mm. was responsible for abortions all over Africa. And I've been learning from him just how internationally coordinated it is. He said, we were waiting for this. The pandemic was just our trigger. Yeah. We had pills by post ready and waiting. This yeah. is already part of our five year yeah, plan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we know it's coordinated. We know that Nathanson uh, from the States admits that when he was part of the abortion lobby, they just lied about the backstreet abortion figures. He admitted that. We know the same thing's been going on here uh, in the UK and the same thing's happening again today with the Roe v. Wade thing. That's mm -hmm. the claim that's made. It's gonna be back to the backstreets. These, women, these, these um, abortion providers lie to women on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. They withhold the truth about the baby in the womb. Mm -hmm. They withhold the truth about abortion. They deny the link between abortion and uh, infertility and breast cancer and all sorts of things. And we're gonna put those links underneath this mm. video. Um, the, the, the evidence for mental health, physical health damage to women is, is, is mounting and has been known for decades, but it's mm. obfuscated by the abortion industry. These are known liars. So why do we give them such a free pass whenever they say, look, we're just trying to help? Don't assume the best if the evidence is pointing the other way. It's, it's, it's actually irresponsible to assume the best when we're talking about child abuse. Mm. You don't assume the best, you, mm. you, you investigate, you take action. Right, before we finish, we need to just look at these numbers. So um, the, the claim was made in the, in the 60s, and as you say, the, the, the tenor of the debate in Parliament wasn't, you know, my body, my choice. It wasn't about, you know, opening uh, the gates for abortion on demand, or that's what happened. Uh, but it was very much, look, we've got these specific extreme case tragedies going on. We've got mm. backstreet abortions. Mm. We've got thalidomide and other sort of pregnancy and uh, you know um, abnormality issues. We've got mm. um, extreme cases, rape, incest, and so on. And they, 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 as I say, the, the, the social was already widening into mm. the medical, you know. So the idea of the exhausted housewife, she's already got five kids, isn't looking to have another. That was already becoming seen as an extreme case, kind of medicalized situation. So to put it in perspective from us, what were the numbers doing before legalization? Right. And, and what were they doing afterwards? Okay, so before legalization, there were still some legal abortions because there was a little case, Rex v. Bourne, which allowed abortion in very extreme 
situations. So mm -hmm. there actually were about 20,000 legal abortions every year. Mm -hmm. That was known and documented. The debate is over how many illegal abortions there were. Mm. Now, as we're seeing today in America and here around the world, so back then, the claims were there were huge numbers of backstreet abortions. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, these were estimates, these were fabricated as Nathanson admitted in America. But here as well, there was no firm evidence, it was just estimates. Mm. Now, of course, the, the higher the estimate, the greater the argument, well, we need to bring this into the clinics. Mm. And that's how naive pro-lifers are um, persuaded. Yeah. Because, well, we're not gonna make these abortions go away, so let's make them safe. Mm. So claims were made even north of 100,000 abortions a year were being conducted in the UK, in the UK illegally. Yeah. That, claims like that were repeated in Parliament and many believed them, but estimates vary hugely. In terms of how many, okay, how many actually were happening? And yeah, and how do you know that that figure wasn't true? Okay, so firstly, there's no evidence for it. Yeah. These are just estimates. Ill illegal activity is obviously notoriously difficult to quantify. So firstly, the, show me the evidence. But secondly, if that were true, yeah. you're left with some very serious problems, especially in hindsight, we can see now. So firstly, if that were true, if there were 100,000 illegal abortions a year, well, we know that there were only, in 1967, so before the act was implemented, yeah. in that year, there were only 32 um, maternal deaths due to criminal abortion. Yeah. If you only get 32 maternal deaths out of 100,000 yeah. illegal abortions, that makes illegal abortion in the 60s incredibly safe. Yeah. It doesn't stand to reason. There couldn't have been that many yeah. if there were only 32 maternal deaths. But perhaps perhaps even more compellingly for me, if you combine the, the known legal abortions, 27,200, with, um, with the, the claimed 100,000 or even yeah. more that some, some uh, wanted us to believe, you've got something like 130,000 abortions, illegal yeah. and a few legal. And then the following year, we're expected to believe once it was made fully legal in the UK or effectively legal, the first full year, 1969, only 54,000 abortions took place. Yeah. So we're, we're meant to believe that making it legal, therefore safer for the woman and free, mm -hmm. reduced the overall number of abortions mm -hmm. to less than half of what was before. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. It would stand to reason you get the same number of abortions at least, because yeah. you get all those illegal ones so coming in. It should be 120,000. Plus, yeah. it should have been, if that was what was already happening. Yeah. In fact, we see only 50,000. So to me, the, the report by the Royal College of Obs and Gynae in 1966, which concluded there were 14,600 illegal abortions, seems to me about right. Mm. That seems to make sense of the 32 maternal deaths. Mm. And combine that with 27,000 legal abortions prior to the 67 Act, You've got about 40,000 mm. uh, a year later when it's legalized 54,000 the official stats that seems to me pretty reasonable because you're going to see that number go up once it's made legal because that's what happened year on year thereafter so in conclusion there's basically a direct correlation between something being legal and it increasing yep. and something being illegal and it decreasing a, a quantifiable correlation so 54,000 in the first complete year after 67 we saw that multiply up to 169,000 in 1974. Mm -hmm. So within just a few years, that trebled. And where can people get these stats? These are the official government stats. You can see them, the, the, the national yeah. government statistics. On the website. Yeah, you can go to cbiuk.org. We've got all the stats there. Yeah. These, are, these are not controversial stats. The illegal abortions are controversial. No one can be sure. But what's so interesting about this is my gran had an illegal abortion in the 50s and she mm. had it in 
on Harley Street, mm. Mm. which is she in, had a, it in under, a clinic actually. under clinical conditions, yeah. in a private clinic on Harley Street. So again, like the picture that is always presented is you know from these kind of Polish films of kind of flickering lights and paint peeling off the walls and some mm. seedy weirdo. Mm you know, who can't speak English performing your abortion. Mm. Again, it is a false picture because, yep. because actually, you know, the, the, even abortions before legalization were not necessarily being conducted under kind of, yeah. you know, unhygienic and dangerous, uh, you know. Yeah, the, the, the contrast is massively exaggerated, isn't it? it yeah. It's like illegal means coat hanger and legal means safe and clinical. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, of course, the reality is today we've got so-called legal pills mm. by post, DIY abortions. We've got hundreds of women ending up in hospital every single month yeah. because of these legal abortions, these yeah. pills by post. Yeah. So it, it's just a lie. There's no such thing as a safe abortion. Mm. Certainly not for the baby, it's never safe. But even for the mother, because mm. it simply is not healthcare. So 169,000 abortions by the mid 70s and now we're cruising at more than 210,000 every year. And that's all because of the law. The law makes all the difference. So what's our kind of take home point here? It's ever so important for Christians, for pro-lifers to understand the law really does matter. Mm. The law matters, the, the law makes far more difference. If you were to put down the abortion figures today down to one thing, it would be the law. Without the law, it never would have reached this. Now, of course, mm. the law doesn't appear in a vacuum and we're gonna be looking more at that next week, the sexual revolution mm. and how uh, these forces demanded uh, a change in the law. And there is this, the satanic agenda and there's the, the great push beneath all these kind of surface level political goings on. Uh, but the law is incredibly important. And, and the bottom line is this, if we take seriously what scripture says about loving our neighbor, mm. and if we take seriously the, the plain as day fact that laws change the way our neighbors get treated, mm. then we as Christians ought to be doing all that we can to support, encourage, and bring about righteous laws mm. that will protect life made in God's image mm. rather than naively stepping aside or even supporting mm. laws that are going to encourage and facilitate and enable mm. the destruction of human life. Mm. My takeaway, if you're interested. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested. Thanks for asking. I like how you asked me before you share what it is. Well, yeah. <laughs> well no, but I, no, find I, so, I find it so interesting. 1935 was when the, this um, abortion lobby group was set up and began its work. And they had everything in place. So as soon as the law changed, it came on in. It's a bit mm. like the legalization of drugs. You know, you know, the, the marijuana industry is waiting in mm -hmm. the seams to burst onto the scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the converse is true, right? Mm. We, we need to cast a better vision. Yeah. We need to have a better framework and it needs to be lined up so that when the law changes, mm -hmm. We're, we're producing, we've got a better mm -hmm. hope and a better future for our children, mm -hmm. you know, so that we're not, we're not, we don't just need to get the ogre out the blooming front mm -hmm. room, mm -hmm. but we also need to have a, a better vision for society, a better vision for our children and a, and a, a better vision for mums and for marriage and for sex and the whole lot, mm -hmm. you know, to come in mm -hmm. uh, with an abolition mm -hmm. uh, piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we've got to be as foresighted and farsighted as they've been yeah. and as persistent yes. and dedicated because really they put us to shame. So, um, well, we're going to be talking more about that next week, the, the, the agenda that underpinned all this. Uh, and we've got to shine the light in this great darkness mm. and, uh, and not be deceived. Amen. Thank you, Christian.
been an honor and a privilege. Let's do it again.